0: This morning, I'm excited to introduce to you our guest speaker today, and uh, he's a gentleman who is able to be with us this weekend at our men's retreat. It's my friend, Dr. Greg Mitchell. Uh, Dr. Yeah, you can give him a hand. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Greg, you'll if you want to do that again here in about half an hour, because it's really good. Uh, Dr. Mitchell is from Vancouver, Canada. Canadian, yeah. So uh, I don't know what that's all about, eh? Sorry. His jokes will be better than mine, I promise uh, uh, he pastors a multi ethnic church there in Vancouver and uh, he 's really been a pastor to pastors he 's uh, got a background in counseling and psychology and theology, and his ministry is sort of meets all in the intersection of those as you 'll hear uh, um, this weekend. He was so good for our men and talked a lot about overcoming fear and so I was Uh, bringing some of my my children over and them kids this morning uh, a couple of our team members there said man it was so good I even went home last night and talked to my wife for like an hour about my feelings These are you know big manly dudes, so uh, we don't quite have those po- posted on our podcast yet, but once we do listen, I encourage all of you, especially uh, married couples, to listen to those. It's basically free marriage counseling we're posting on there for you to go through that together. It's amazing material. Uh, Dr. Greg and his wife Debbie have been married for just about 31 years, and together uh, they have 10 children. He'll introduce them in just a moment. Uh, He's written books. He travels the world. He speaks uh, on college campuses and churches. And so he's been a great friend to me and appreciate his heart and uh, excited to hear from him this morning. So will you guys give him a hand as he comes?
1: Good morning to you. It's great to be here. Uh, I just want to tell you how I know that you know this. But I want to tell you how blessed you are to have a pastor like Pastor Morgan and his um, and his team. It's, it's easy to trust him and to trust your pastoral team. They are amazing men and women. And uh, I'm very, very blessed by them. It was great spending time here. And I want to personally thank you for giving me a legitimate excuse to be away from my ten children for a whole weekend. That's been uh, that's been excellent. So anytime I, I beg you, actually, any time you can have No, it's not true. I love my kids often. Um, I thought it might be good if if you saw a picture of them. So this is our uh, this is our family. And that's my beautiful wife there uh, beside me. As you heard, we've been married almost 31 years. It's been amazing, and I'm so grateful for her. She's my best friend and my hero. I think she's incredible. Uh, the guy with the baseball cap on, that's my oldest son. He's 27 years old. He's still single. And, uh, and so uh, sometimes when I travel around, I, I, I tell, you know, I say, and, and women, you know, I have no shame, I'll, I'll hand out his number and, and, uh, and somebody actually came up with their number and so I don't use that joke anymore because it, uh, it got weird. And then that's uh, our, uh, our foster son next to, uh, sorry, adopted son, Toby, the one with the blonde hair, it changes daily but that's blonde right now, he's our hipster. And uh, I don't know if you know what hipster is, but if you're, you can't admit that you're a hipster if you're a hipster, because then you wouldn't be. Anyways, it's an inside joke. But he wears uh, short khaki pants and pink shoes, and somehow that's cool. I'm still trying to figure that out. He's a great kid, loves Jesus. Next to him is Tyler. He is going into his first year of college. We're really excited about that. He's a godly young man. He wants to be a pastor someday. I don't know why that is, but we're working on it. And uh, and then his uh, younger sister in the middle next to my wife, that's Jessica. She's in grade 12. And you don't call it grade 12, do you? Okay, well, the right way is grade 12, so I'm just letting you know that. And, uh, and so uh, she's amazing. She writes music and uh, is starting to lead worship in our church. She's just great. And then... We were reaching out to a mom in our local uh, elementary school. And uh, she has a problem with alcohol. She has five kids. And the government took away her children. So she phoned us about seven years ago and says, Would you please take my four boys? And so we said yes to that. And so uh, about seven years ago, the ones above Debbie and I, uh, Noah and Isaac, and then the ones you can kind of see in between, Jamil and Jonah, uh, the mom is Honduran descent, so they all speak, uh, speak Spanish. But we received them about seven years ago, and they've been amazing kids. Uh, a real, real gift to us. And then a few years later, their older sister, Eunice, who's in the gray and black, she came to live with us. And then also their cousin, Naomi, who's in the blue, who's Jessica's best friend. And she just started staying over more. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> And then now she's, she's here to stay. And uh, I, I love her dearly. She's a very funny girl. I really enjoy her a lot. So that's our family. Uh, today we're going to be talking about love. That's the topic for today. We're going to end this service with a group hug. You can look forward to that. Uh, but what I want to... Um, I, I want to begin by asking the question... What is our life purpose? If I was to put the microphone in your hand and to ask you, what is your life purpose? How would you answer that? Um, that'd be a good one. Uh, some people define their life purpose as, I want to be happy. I just, I, that's mostly, if you live in Vancouver, it's kind of a West Coast lifestyle, and that's mostly what people are looking for. I just want to be happy. That's my life purpose. I want to be successful. I, uh, I want to be self-fulfilled, how would you answer that question? Or more specifically, how would you find out what your life purpose is? I think for many of us, it seems like the way that we're trying to discover our life purpose is kind of through trial and error, where we try this, or we take this course in college, or we experiment here, and we try to kind of piece together what seems to be a meaningful life. How do, uh, how do we find out? I think the best way to find out who, uh, what our life purpose is, is to ask our creator. Now, for a number of years, I was a shop teacher. And so I've built lots of things over the years, lots of chairs and desks and all different kinds of pieces of furniture. And it's never been true, after I've put dozens of hours into building something, and somebody asks me, what did you make? I've never said, I, I don't know, I... some time on my hand, and that's what happened after. (laughs) I've never ever said that. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I'm not going to put that amount of time into something. And then there's always a purpose. A creator always has a purpose. When God created you, he made you with a purpose. And what's really good news is that he told you what that purpose is in Matthew chapter 22. And here's what it says in Matthew 22. Verses 37 to 40, it says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. If you could summarize all that the Bible says, it's summarized in these few verses. That our life purpose is to love God and to love others. True happiness, real success, real fulfillment is found in giving and receiving the love of God. Isn't that amazing? So, uh, what this means then is that God measures, follow me on this now, God measures our personal health relationally, not individualistically. So let me explain what this means. If I was to ask you, how are you, Uh, what would you say? You would say, you're fine. The whole world's fine, right? Now, if I was to annoy you and ask you a follow up question and say, why, Uh, how would you answer that question? Now, typically, the way that people would answer that question is they would describe it um, individualistically or self centeredly. They would say, you know, the weather's been great. Uh, I got a raise. The traffic was good today, and so we would say that we're doing fine according to kind of how well the world revolves around us. Now, what God considers to be fine is a different criteria. He says that you're fine when you're loving God, Him, one another, and the world. God evaluates our personal health relationally, not just individualistically, so to be a Christian is somebody who thinks in terms of relationship and not just personally, how they're doing. God is a relational God. He made us in His image. and to be doing well and to fulfill our life purpose is to think in terms of our relationship with God, one another in the world. So given how important love and a relationship is, what we want to do is ask the next question is, What is love? What is love? Now, some people describe love as a feeling. And if you, uh, if you listen to the radio, I mean, that far and away is the most popular definition of what love is. Love is a feeling. It's a hormonal reality. And, uh, and, and I, I, I hope that love is more than a feeling. I have a bunch of teenagers, and uh, of course in our church there's a bunch of teenagers, and you'll listen to them describe, you know, their their latest love, you know, and they'll go, "I love him," and then minutes later, "I hate him," and it just they just ricochet through life, and it's it's impressive, really. And uh, but I'm hoping I'm hoping that love is more than a feeling. That when God says, "I love you," He's not just expressing a feeling. He's something. He's expressing something much more profound than that um others say so yeah okay so love is a, a a feeling is just a little bit superficial so some say no no uh, love is an action that if you truly love somebody you're going to express it which is true but i think that it's too simplistic to call one set of behaviors loving and another set of behaviors unloving i don't think it it works if i uh if i smile at you Am I loving you right now? Or am I just nervous? (laughs) How do you know? Um, What about sex? Is sex always about making love? Well, we know that's not true, right? We know there's this thing called rape and abuse and horrible things. So, to simply say, if you do this, you're always loving, and if you do that, you're always unloving, doesn't quite work. So, more than a feeling... More than an action, I think that love is a feeling and is an action, but more than that, and here's where the, you know, the drum roll is required, the Bible describes love as a motive. Love is a motive where we value others over self. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14. It says, do everything in love. Love primarily is a motive. So this means then that love is less about how we feel, Or even what we do, it is why we do it, or more specifically, for whom we do it. So a loving person might have emotion, will express something concretely, but what's mostly going on is a motive that says, I value you over me in this moment. And at that place is where true love is being expressed. Now... This definition of love, love being a motive, being about for the benefit of others, this definition of love helps explain a few things. I want to go through four things, and then we'll conclude. First of all, uh, it answers the question, what is the opposite of love? Now, I have the opportunity sometimes to go around onto college campuses and um, high school campuses and talk about love, sex, and relationships. The uh, the name of my seminar, which is really awkward, is "Love, Sex, and Relationships" with Dr. Greg. <laughs> we're still we're trying to work out a better title. Uh, um, one time I, I was in Montreal, and uh, one of the one of the guys comes up to a woman who looked a little bit dazed, and she and he says, "Excuse me, are you looking for love, sex, and relationships?" That was an awkward moment. Uh, um, he meant the seminar. She didn't quite get that. Uh, <laughs> so, whenever I travel around on college campuses, they um, I'll ask them, what is, what is the opposite of love? And almost always, people say hate. That hate is the opposite of love. For sure, that is not true. Because the Bible says that God is love, and it also says that he hates things. It's possible for love and hate to coexist. That I so love my kids, I hate it when they do something that's damaging to them or to others. I just hate that. I hate pedophiles. At one level, I mean, I love and care because they're made in God's image, but what they do, I hate that. It's possible to have love and hate coexist. So I think a better answer to the question, what is the opposite of love, is that it's sin. I'd like to give you a definition of sin that I find to be really helpful. The word sin technically means uh, what, uh, missing the mark. And so that's, that's a good, accurate definition, but nobody ever told me what the mark was. And so I was trying to, what am I trying to not miss? Um, here's a definition that I think will be helpful for you. Sin is whatever breaks relationship. So when God calls something a sin, what he's saying is that if you do that behavior, you're going to break relationship with me or others. Sin is not some arbitrary list where God has some cosmic whiteboard in the sky and drew a a random line down the middle of all human behaviors and called one side sin and the other side loving. No, he says that I'm letting you know that if you participate in these kinds of behaviors, that you're going to break relationship with me or others. This is exactly what's spoken of in Isaiah 59, verse 2. It says, But your iniquities have separated you, broken relationship, from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So sin then is whatever breaks relationship. I remember a, a number of years ago now, I was in a previous church, and we had a Sunday evening service. And there was a new guy that uh, that came to the church, and uh, he introduced himself to us, and uh, he seemed like a really nice guy. He had a, a Jesus' Lord pen in his shirt, so we know that he must be great. And so he came up to us, and he says, you know, I'm from out of town. I just came into town just now, actually. I have no place to stay. And uh, I looked at Debbie, and I says, Debbie, you know, what if we just let him stay at our place? And she goes, yeah, sure. So we, so we let him stay at our place. And he, he lived with us for, I think it was four or five days. And then his way of expressing his gratitude was to steal our car, my wife's purse, and a bunch of other things. And, you know, call me judgmental. But our relationship was just not the same after that. I just, it, we weren't connecting at the same level that we did before he stole our car. Uh, sin Always breaks relationship always, and it's important that we know that so sin then is selfish and love is selfless and they're a world apart that 's number one number two uh, what is the law now i don 't know if you've uh if you've noticed but there's a few rules in this book have you noticed that yet there's a couple in there and uh Most people don't enjoy that. It's just a bunch of stuff to do. And why would God write out so many laws? The reason why he gives us the law is to describe what love looks like. And the reason for that is that we can deceive ourselves. In Romans chapter 13, here's what it says. It says, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. God gives us all of these laws because he knows that we can deceive ourselves in imagining what love looks like and missing the mark entirely. I think about this um, uh, in terms of premarital sex. Uh, before I was married, I did not have sex outside of marriage. Uh, I was mostly afraid of going to hell. And so I'm working on a more noble motivation. But back then, that's mostly what was going on in me. It just sounded like a nasty place, and I didn't want to go there. And God told me not to have sex outside of marriage. And so I obeyed him. But I didn't know why. And then I've been doing research over the years on uh, on sex outside of marriage, and there's a, a few statistics that I think that you might find helpful. The first is that uh, statistically, if you have sex, if you live with somebody uh, before you get married, the divorce rate doubles. It doubles. And, you've, you know, people say, well, you've got to test drive a car before you buy it and, and all that. That's fine, but the divorce rate, the odds of you getting divorced is twice as high if you live together beforehand. Isn't that fascinating? The second one is equally shocking, that if you get married as a virgin, or what the literature would call a secondary virgin, meaning that you were once promiscuous and you've recommitted yourself to chastity, If you are married as a virgin, there's a study that shows the divorce rate is now 3%. God knows what he's doing. He says things not to load us down with rules, but to describe to us what love looks like. And he says, if you do these things and don't do these things, you'll enter in and experience my love tangibly as a way of life. That's number two. Number three is understanding perfection. In, uh, in Matthew 5, this is a. I mean, if I wrote the Bible, I wouldn't have put this in here. But uh, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 5 Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And it, it gets worse. Verse forty-eight: Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Isn't that horrible? (laughs) Like, what's going on here? Uh, This summer, we had an opportunity. Eight of our kids, the two younger ones, we left at home, but we went to Israel, and we went on a Bible, uh, biblical studies tour. It was amazing. And so being in Israel, there are still real-life Pharisees today. You can go up and touch them if you want. And, uh, and so, so here's what you need to know about Pharisees. Pharisees get a really bad rap in the Bible, but uh, they are shockingly righteous. By the time you're 12 or 13 years old, you've already memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And it just goes on from there. There is no way that you are... Nobody in this room is anywhere close to the righteousness of the Pharisees. And then Jesus looks out and says, you need to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. How could we do that? How can you do more than all that? And the answer is one word, love. Doing something... For the benefit of another instead of the benefit of self. What we see in the Pharisees is quite simply a legalistic righteousness. And Jesus comes and says, I want to set you free from simple law-keeping. And I want to invite you in to a love relationship with me and others that moves far beyond what legalistic righteousness is. And the perfection of the Father is His love for humanity. I want to give you an example of what I think this love looks like, and it's a son that my, uh, it's a drawing that my uh, 27-year-old son drew uh, just last week. Uh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't do that. It's when he was a, it's when he was a kid, and uh, he drew it for me, and that's me in the middle, looking really large, and uh, look how far apart my eyes are. Isn't that great? And, uh, and I'm choking my son, and my wife is looking on in shock, uh, wearing her see-through dress. <clears throat> Isn't that great? <laughs> he drew it from his heart. I want you to know that. It's very special. But now listen to this. Listen to what he wrote. Me and you forever together, here is a little picture for you to remember me when you're working. I hope you like it. You and Mommy are my best friends. I love you, Daddy. Still, I mean, I still get emotional uh, reading that thing. Now, uh, before we went to uh, Israel, we got to stop in Paris for a few days, just the way the flights worked. And I got to see the Mona Lisa in real life. I've taken some art history courses, and I love art history. And I got to see Van Gogh and Matisse, and, you know, it was... It was amazing. Now, in comparison, look at that picture. <clears throat> How do you think I feel about that picture? I suggest to you that in my eyes, it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. Because he had the courage and the humility to draw a picture out of love. I don't know of the motives of those uh Artistic Masters. I I don't know the motives, but I know his motive. I think it takes greater courage to love imperfectly than it does to love perfectly. Sometimes I don't want to tell other people about Jesus because I know who I am, and I know I'm not going to do a great job, and I'm probably going to say, mix up my words. Sometimes I don't love my wife because I feel embarrassed with who I am and I, I pull away from their relationship. It takes great faith to love people imperfectly. And can I please encourage you, imperfect love is sweeter than perfected love. Because when you have perfected love, you're always a little bit suspicious why they gave you the picture was it just to make them... Yes, yeah, see? See what I did? Just go ahead. I mean, you can compliment me now. It's okay. I, I know. I know. I deserve it. I'll give all the glory to Jesus, of course. But go ahead. And we, when we're really, really good, our motives get a little messed up. But when we love people like that drawing, we know it's beautiful and pure, right? This is what love is. Number four. Maturity. How does this understanding of love shape what maturity is. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that maturity is the giving and receiving of love. That's what a mature person does. All of life, I believe, can be divided between two moments, giving love or receiving love. Now, what most of us, and I know that I fall into this all the time, what most of us divide our life between is love and selfishness where you, you're loving, 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 doing good things for others, and then there comes a point where you just say, look, I need some me time. And I just, nobody else is going to, so I'm just going to take this time for myself, I'm going to go in my happy place, wherever that is, and I'm just going to focus on me. And I'll get back to loving you in a minute, but right now this is my time. And so we divide our life between love and selfishness. And I think that God wants us, instead, to divide our life between the giving and the receiving of love. Let me explain this. Uh, My favorite sport, the thing that I really, really enjoy doing, is I love uh, mountain biking. People come from all over the world to come to Vancouver, go to our North Shore, and ride mountain bikes. And they're really, really steep technical trails, and it's super, super fun. And I really like being in the outdoors, and I like getting good cardio workout, and I like being freaked out going downhill. I like all that stuff. And, um, and I, 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 I just want you to know that I, I really love people, and I'm a pastor, right? So I'm a, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. And I, I care for people. And I, I listen to their stories, and they keep coming to me with really hard stuff. I don't know why they keep coming, but they do. And so I, I listen to them, and I, and I pray for them. And you guys, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good pastor. I want you to know that about me. <laughs> and uh, isn't it reasonable that every once in a while I just do something for me? Isn't that reasonable? work with me people please yeah yeah I can feel your love coming towards me just now and uh, would you do me a favor would you please explain this to my wife (laughs) because she doesn't exactly see it the same way and so I would go for my mountain bike rides and she would say you're being selfish and I go no 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 you see I'm super loving and now this is like my time And I think I deserve this. Thank you very much. Couldn't quite convince her. And so what I did is uh, I was really convicted by this, to be honest with you. I was very convicted. And I thought, you know what? I am being selfish. And so I uh, hung up my helmet, as it were. And I stopped mountain biking for about three months. And about three months in, uh, Debbie says to me, she says, "I I noticed that you haven't been mountain biking lately. And I'm thinking in my head, it took you three months to notice this, and this is killing me. Anyways, yeah, that was all my inside voice. I didn't say it out loud. And I go, yeah, it's true. It's funny that you bring that up. Yeah. And, uh, and she says, why don't you, uh, why don't you go for a ride? And I felt like I'd been dipped in chocolate. It was like, I think I will. Thank you very much. I would like to do that. Now, here's what's interesting is that moment went from selfishness to receiving love. And then my life got to be divided between the giving and the receiving of love instead of love and selfishness. And now when I go riding my bike, I feel loved by my wife. I meet, I meet God in that place. I just love being outside. And I, it just it feels like worship to me. Can I please encourage you to divide your life between the giving and the receiving of love instead of between love and selfishness. What this means then is that maturity is not about self-improvement. Now, I don't know about you, but I gave up improving myself years ago. I found it tiring in that whole introspection thing. I don't know what that was about. So I I just stopped improving myself. Uh, My kids will probably confirm this, you know, my church will confirm it. But I just found it tiring, and so I stopped. Because who are we thinking about when we're improving ourselves? Me! That's all I'm thinking about. And what is the most disruptive part of me improving myself? You! You! So, like, you wouldn't believe how godly I am when I'm alone. It is remarkable. Me and Jesus are so tight, and I never get angry. I always walk in the peace of the Lord, always, when no one is around. It's, I'm amazing. You should see me. But you couldn't see me because then you'd be there, and that'd mess it up. But, uh, but I am a really, really godly guy when I'm by myself. It's, it's awesome. And I had to re-figure out, what is maturity? Is maturity simply about me kind of becoming internally right-ordered and controlling my anger and pride? And No. No. Maturity is the ability to think about another. I love this quote by one of your presidents. So I'm being culturally relevant. Woodrow Wilson, your 28th president. Here's what he said. I love this quote. If you think about what you should do for others, your character will take care of itself. Isn't that excellent? If you think about what you should do for others, your character will take care of itself. So rather than working on my anger or working on my pride, God has been inviting me to think about you, to think about my wife and children, my friends think primarily about him. And as I think about him, my character changes almost accidentally. I'm not working on my character. I'm thinking about you. And if I think about you, my character will take care of itself. Isn't that great? Oh, man, this is like super good news. I now, I don't know, Pastor Moore, can I do, I now commission you to never improve anymore. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. But isn't it better to have that burden lifted off of us? And we just get to be free to give and receive the love of God. And I think that's all that's going on. So, in conclusion, what is our life purpose? I do not believe that our life purpose is what we do. Using our talents sir having a family or achieving success, having fun. Because what that would mean is that we could only experience our life purpose in just a few little bits of any given week. And then what are we doing for the rest of the time? I think that our life purpose has to be more than a career or more than being a mom or dad. More than a hobby. Listen to this. This is the second drum roll and the final drum roll our life purpose is really a life motive. And this motive redeems all we do, even our pain. And so what this means is that whether we're, um, we've climbed the corporate ladder and we've got that raise and that promotion, or whether we're changing diapers, or whether we're telling somebody about Jesus, or whether we're in a deep, dark place in depression, we can be fulfilling our life purpose by finding Jesus in those places. When it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, when our life purpose is a life motive, that verse becomes true. That no matter where we go or what we do, we can find and live in the love of God. I, I remember talking to my mentor once. I go through swings of being depressed and then being super happy. And I remember uh, talking to my mentor, and I says, how do I get out of those down parts? I don't really like those parts. Can I just have the mountaintops, please? And I remember him saying something to me that I'll never forget. He says, Greg, he says, I go down as well. And he says, I find a kind of Jesus in the valleys that I never experienced in the mountaintops. And I've learned to befriend my depression because I find a kind of God there that is full of comfort and love in a way that has now become sweet to me. Isn't that amazing? That when love is our motive, even the most difficult times of life get redeemed and we find meaning in those places. So can I ask you, in conclusion, can we please keep life this simple? I've been a Christian for over 40 years. I have degrees in, th- in theology. And uh, I can impress you with some big words, but I find them tiring and I forget them anyways. Um, I love it when you see old people and you ask them to talk about Jesus and they start to cry. And they start to say how sweet it is that their sins are forgiven and that they know the living God personally and they cry. I pray that as we go deeper into Christianity, it's going to get simpler and simpler so that as we get old together, we will say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that our life will be simply a reflection of the love of our Father and the good news of Jesus Christ. And I believe that the fruit of that will be a life of peace and joy, the life that we've always wanted to experience. And it's simply because we've chosen God's love to be our life motive. Can you say amen to that? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for these dear people who came here today because they wanted to meet you And so I pray that you would answer their prayer and come near to us now and remind us that love is not one of many of your qualities. Love summarizes all that you are. And your invitation to us has always been to enter in to the love of the Father. Father, would you please give to us again today would you extend to us that invitation and give us the humility to receive your love today. I pray that you would forgive us for running after other life purposes. And I ask that you would remind us again of what makes life truly meaningful, truly satisfying, and it's to give and receive your love. Set us free with this understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.